Restaurant Unstoppable episode 717 with Chef Mark Esty. You know, not everyone's trying to climb the same ladder. You know, there was a lot of people I worked with who were great, great, great cooks and managers, but I, they didn't want what I wanted. They didn't want what I had. They didn't want what I was doing. So I, I learned to partner up with them and have them support me, and I supported them. And it became a really, you know, that's that kind of teamwork I'm talking about. It's like, you know, not everyone can be the main dog, you know? And, you know, and any main dog who's supported from the bottom is a heck of a lot stronger. And that's, and that's kind of how I built my career. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurants Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365 a value of $5,000. What's going on, guys? We have a great show for you today. Before I give you that teaser, I want to remind you that Toast is our sponsor today, uh, one of our many sponsors, and they are offering us a great deal, $2,500. After taxes, that's about $2,000, and we want to split the profit with you. So if you use our link, we will send you a check for $1,000. And I have to remind you that they're also throwing in like up to $1,000 worth of incentives. That's 50% off implementation. That's three months of free delivery and online ordering and one month of free POS services on top of the check for $1,000 if you use our link. Support the show, guys. Use our links and we'll take care of you. It's that simple. Uh, And we have a really great show for you today. Mark Esty out of Reno, Nevada, dropping bombs of knowledge, folks. I really love this conversation. Some great takeaways today. I think the big ones are this idea of knowing what your aspirations are, knowing where you want to go and finding people who uh, don't necessarily have that same aspiration, but they uh, they have skill. They have work ethic and you need to surround yourself with these people and round yourself off really. And that's how Mark built his career. He gets into the details of that. He talks about vertical integration, which kind of again plays back to what I just shared with you surrounding yourself with 
are like relationships that are very symbiotic, right? Uh, the things you need to consider if you are taking this approach of vertical integration of going deeper, not if you know, not not scaling outward, but scaling deeper into your community. I love this mentality of vertical integration, uh, how to build management at the higher level, the executive level. If you're doing that in what kind of business entities and just really great advice around culture too, in living your culture. This this episode is packed. You're going to love it. I promise you here it is Mark Esty with excitement. Allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef Mark Etsy. Mark, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling 100% unstoppable right now. Yes, that is what we like to hear. So Chef Mark Esty is an award-winning chef, restaurateur, and visionary on a mission to reinvent dining cultures as we know it. Today, Esty owns Liberty Food and Wine Exchange in downtown Reno, the Union in downtown Carson City, Shea Louie inside Nevada Museum of Art, the historic Overland Restaurant and Pub, and a restaurant uh, that recently opened Cucina Lupo in Carson City. He also is a managing partner at Compo Mammoth. SD has been featured on Food Network and Cooking Channel. He's a James Beard Award nominee and was awarded Best New Restaurant by Esquire. Man, you got a lot going on. I was also honored as Entrepreneur of the Year by Reno Gazette Journal. We're talking to a boss right now, man. I cannot wait to get into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? You know, in my years in the kitchen and in business, um, the biggest thing that I can always try to talk to people about is, yeah, is the culture that you create. Yes. Uh, what kind of culture do we create um, uh, with our with our personalities uh, when we hire people, with our food, with our beverage service? You know, this is this is who we are. So we try to create a culture of learning, caring, and respect. Yes. And like just a really simple hit of creating a culture of learning, caring, and respect. That can apply to so many different things, and I, I really find that makes us unstoppable. Yes, man. I like what you did there at the Unstoppable, too. So learning, uh, culture, respect. Why those three? What I mean, there's so many things we can create culture around. Why yeah. did you choose those three? I mean, I think in the restaurant business, the food and beverage industry, uh, at least the things that I've seen in my years in here, uh, if we're always learning, if that quest for knowledge is there, and we're always looking. I'm having to do this for close to 30 years now. And if I'm if I'm constantly still trying to learn more, everybody around is also learning more, and we're and we're sharing uh, we're sharing ideas with each other, and we're 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 trying to push ourselves and get better. We don't get complacent. So, learning is a huge key for me, and that caring part is a way like you know caring is something to me that means a lot because when I came up, uh, we weren't very cared for very well. You know, it's just like whip you whip you know, you got whipped. Yeah, 16-hour days, you got paid for eight. You know, you came in on your day off. If your mise en place wasn't perfect, you got kicked out of the kitchen. Um, you know, you didn't get to eat if you didn't do good. You know, it was just, it was, it was, it wasn't very caring. These days, you really want to kind of create that caring environment because if you're learning, you want to you want to create a place where people feel that they can share their ideas. And if they share their ideas and if we care enough about each other, even if it's a not necessarily the best idea. We, we, we let them down in a way with a little bit of care to that. Uh, and it also helps us retain great employees because you can't do it all by yourself. No matter mm-hmm. how great of a chef you are or, or how great uh, anyone thinks they are, you can never do it alone. Yes. So if you're always teaching people and you're always learning and willing to learn and you show care to your people from a standpoint of their work ethic and their home life and help them have some balance, um, you come to the next part. 
which is the respect. And the respect goes both ways, right? Everyone wants to be respected. And everyone complains about not being respected. And I get no respect in Rodney Dangerfield, right? No respect, no respect at all. You know, the idea really is that if you give respect, you get respect. Yes. You know, and I'm talking about respect of people. I'm talking about respect of products, especially. Uh, I'm talking about respect of, you know, boundaries these days. You know, the last few years we've seen a lot come up with that. You know, you just have to have that mindset of uh, you can't be that one. You can't have these blinders on and be that chef or that uh, restaurant owner who just cares about, you know, uh, making French fries. You know, you have to understand the learning part, the caring part, the respect part. Yes. And that all together creates that culture. And uh, that's the culture that, you know, people want to work in. And that's how you end up with one restaurant, two restaurants, three restaurants, four restaurants, five restaurants, and because you created that. And, it's, they, and they can survive and they can thrive in that atmosphere. Chef, I think it's safe to say we got that motivational, inspirational ball rolling. Great way to pop this sucker off. I love how you say you got to give respect before you get respect. And it's been my kind of understanding, my learning through all these interviews that that statement of giving before you get is kind of universal and beyond just respect. You know, it's, yeah. and do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, I mean. I was, I was, thank God I was raised right. I like to say, you know, I mean, I'm far from perfect, but my parents really raised me in a, in a great way. I'm from Boston. Uh, I was raised outside of Boston, in a little town, Bill Ricca, uh, Bill Ricca, Massachusetts. Nice. But it was a case where it was kind of like, we just did things without respecting anything back, you know? Mm. And then and it ended up being, you know, as I went on that golden rule where we do things and you end up doing something and you get tenfold in return. Yes. You know, so yeah. I, I kind of feel like, we live by that these days, and especially these days, uh, it allows us to uh, give without expecting anything back. And then we're pleasantly surprised how good it feels when you just give with no expectation. I love it, man. I love it. I really do. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? You already mentioned you're from Bill Ricca, Massachusetts. Uh, were you working in the industry when you were in, in high school or like when did you know that this was going to be your path? You know, uh, I don't be, fo don't be fooled by my childish boyhood looks. <laughs> Uh, I'm 49 years old. So I uh, got into this when I was about 18. When I graduated high school, even in high school, I knew I wanted to be a chef. But back in 1986, 87, 88, you had to be crazy to be a chef, right? Mm -hmm. Like I played, I played football. I was like, be a big man on campus. The last thing my dad was going to do is allow me to go to culinary school. And no one had a clue what culinary school was. I mean, you know, Emeril Lagasse hadn't hit the waves yet. Yep. No, it was, it was Johnson and Wales and the CIA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, 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 my dad said, go get your regular degree, then go get this little culinary thing. And I spent three years in college playing football, drinking beers. Then I quit and went to culinary school. And the rest is history. At that point, I knew I found what I wanted to do. So is it worth uh, is it worth hanging out, spending some time in your experience at culinary school as far as the conversation goes? Were there any key mentors that kind of stand out? Any key experiences that we can extract from your story? Yeah, I think I think the one thing I saw in culinary school, and I think it's different now because I do have a lot of culinary students come through here. Uh, one, there's a million culinary schools out there. Mm -hmm. Great communities, college programs out there. You don't need to go to the pr most prestigious school. You go to culinary school to learn the basics, you know, the best men, some of the best mentors that I had are the ones who taught me all those things, right? I have a, I have this great story that I love talking about. So my, my mom, uh, I'm Greek and Italian and my mom used to make Greek soup and in culinary world, we, we temper, right? She temper the hot stock with the eggs and the lemon that would be together. So she would always make this noise, right? And she would put the hot stock into the, into the cold eggs 
and then she'd bring it all back together and it would come to a nice, you know, we'd have a nice like uh, 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 viscous, uh, viscous soup, really delicious. It was kind of thickened up by the egg, right? But you couldn't scramble them. And I'd say, Ma, why do you make that noise? Well, that Nina Valerie taught me that. The first day of culinary school, I learned tempering. As I go home, call my mother. I said, don't need to make that noise anymore, Ma. You're tempering. <laughs> She's like, oh, great. I understand now. <laughs> so, you know, little things like that, you get these, you, you, you get some basic stuff in there. And back then, you know, Johnson & Wales and CIA were the best places you had to go. Mm-hmm. And, and now there's multiple locations of all those. Again, we have about six people working for us now in our group who came out of uh, Truckee Meadows Community College. I'm based here in Reno now. And TMCC has a great program. And we've got some really great hires out of there. And, you know, you don't need to go to culinary school. I definitely wouldn't spend the money on the four-year degree. Sorry, Johnson Wales. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I'm right there with you. I think what we need to before culinary school, it was apprentice programs. And I think yeah, that yeah. that's I mean, we're coming we're the pendulum swinging back in that direction right now. Yes. We're realizing that we don't with access to the Internet. We have literally we don't need books anymore. Right. We can get anything we want. As far as if we can do a Google search, we can get that knowledge. And I think what where the value was in a in a college prior was in the network that you're paying for. You go to Johnson and Wales, you go to to the CIA. You're you're paying for the the funnel. You know they're going to connect you with the rest of the country. That's what you're that's what you were paying for back in you know 1985. Um, you know, you were learning, but more than anything, you're getting access to that network. We don't need these things as much as we used to. We can connect on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so I'm right there with you, man. So yeah, it was, uh, that's what kind of where my, where my journey began. And, you know, I, before that I had washed dishes, worked as a short order cook for a couple shifts here and there, but I just kind of kicked it around. And like most chefs, they find their way, they find their way to this, you know, and you know, uh, the men and women in the kitchen I worked with over the years, I've been phenomenal. You know, I always say like, you can really teach anybody to cook, but can you teach them to be all the other things that make a great cook? Yes. Oh I mean, man, that's a packed. I mean, I feel like we could unpackage that. What do we could spend hours just talking about? What are all the other things that make a great cook? Right. Well, just give me two or three things that come to mind. The other well, things that people don't consider. Other things is, you know, you need to have a, you need to have a kind of understanding of, of your place. I call it humility, understanding who you are. And, um, you know, these days, Go in and the, the skill of cooking is definitely, it's definitely something that is uh, powerful. It's, uh, it's uh, liberating. It's freedom. If you can go in and rock a station one night and you're busy, there's definitely a lot of, there's a lot of energy running through the kitchen. Um, but the, the, the things that other people don't really, that you, you need to remember is like, have a sense of understanding who you are in the place, right? Like, it's not all about you. You know, I don't, I think when I was coming up, I thought it was all about me, right? No, it's about the guests. It's about the customer. It's about people experiencing our food, you know, um, uh, understanding how you fit in a team. You know, this is a team sport. And if anyone tells you different, they're, they're not teaching you proper. It's a team sport from the dishwasher to the, to the newest line cook, to the longest line cook, to the sous chef, to the chef tea party, to the executive sous chef, to the executive chef, and straight down the same line in the same brigade on the other side. Uh, it's a team sport. And, you know, to understand that, and if you can get that big picture look, you know, take those blinders off, I think that's something that really helps people understand cooking. And then, then the, pe- the thing that I find, and this is the part that we really, I think we're really lucky. Um, I work, I have a lot of great uh, uh, guys who, uh, and gals who came up with me. Um, we teach a lot about numbers, the business side. Yes, of so important. I mean, this, is a, this, is a, this is a penny, pickle, pinch business. 
there's a fine line between success and failure. It's about razor thin. You know, you, you know, they, there's no, there's not, there's nothing that gets by that's not really important. Now, great, you're a great cook, but if you screw up a dish and you keep throwing away the chicken tenders or you keep throwing away the flame and yellows, you're overcooking them, we ain't gonna be around very long. So, you know, those are the three things that I point out that make a great cook. Why, why, why is it so important to actually to not just say, hey, it's important that you don't waste that chicken, but how far do you take it with letting them know about the numbers? Like we're, we're like to paint the picture of what letting them know about the numbers looks like. How far do you go with, with that educational piece? I feel like we prepped each other, but we didn't. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a operation that we go through here. We call it bread plates, right? I'll take a hundred bread plates. We do, we have, we have meetings every day, but uh, quarterly we have like bigger meetings with all the staff. We have about 222 employees. And we'll stack the bread plates. Once a year, I do the bread plate deal. So I stack the bread plates up and I take a PL from one of the restaurants. And I say, okay, Johnny, remove 37 bread plates. That's labor. Okay, Susie, remove, you know, 30, 30 bread plates. Okay, that's cost of goods, right? Remove 10 bread plates, Joe. Oh, that's that's rent expense. Okay, remove 10 bread. You know, get my point, right? Yeah. We go all the way down. Sometimes there's one bread plate left. <laughs> Right, and that's a ten percent profit. Yeah. Right. So, so you look at it, or the, or it's a one percent profit. So you you know you, you just they kind of put their eyes on that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like every time, so every and we always make a joke because you want to keep it light for these people, right? A lot of people are, are, are first time cooks or they're not understanding it, but people have been around. Every time someone breaks something, they go bread plates. Yeah. Or every time someone <laughs> makes a mistake, they go bread plates. Because I would say, hey, if we get to a certain level, I'll close the restaurant. We'll all go to Italy. You know, and I just, you know, I, I meant it for a few years, but we never got there. Okay. You know? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking to myself, I can like picture you like taking that last plate that's left. That's for you. And then you just drop it to make yes. a point and yes. it shatters. You go, well, there goes our profit. And it's, it but it's like problem. the image, right? It's like yeah. every Even little thing compounds. Yeah. yeah. I heard of a guy doing that with hundred dollar bills, but I'm not that rich. <laughs> so let's get back to your story. Thank you for getting into that, by the way, a huge lesson yeah. there. Uh, back to your story. I know that you spent some time in Lake Tahoe, San Francisco, Boston, like you're from Boston. So I'm assuming you were working in Boston after Johnson and Wales. I know you spent six years at Hyatt corporation. So yeah. we're, we're in the crown a lot. Like take us real quick, go like without getting into detail. Just give me the big picture. I got a good quick one. So, you know, graduate culinary school in 93, take a job. I was working in Providence, Rhode Island at a restaurant called Paul Tafu, uh, great, great French restaurant. Went to the Hyatt Lake, uh, went to the Hyatt in Cambridge as a line cook. One year as a cook. Worked, I mean, my first job was 3 to 11. I used to go in at 7 a.m., four days a week, and I'd stay till 2 and I'd off the clock, and I'd just work for free. And then I'd take, take lunch and then go punch in and work my job. Two years there, left as the, uh, uh, the event, uh, the banquet chef, transferred out to the Hyatt Lake Tahoe. Three years there, exec Sue left, manager of the year twice, one in Cambridge, one in Lake Tahoe. Gary Danko, San Francisco, got delayed, came back, opened up a restaurant in um, – Truckee, California, private country club, three years there, 2001, left, opened my first restaurant that I ever owned when I was 31 called Moody's Bistro Lounge in Truckee, California, and spent 10 years in Truckee, and during that time, opened up a place called Burger Me, which has been on the Food Network, it's kind of a famous place, there's three locations of that, I sold that in 15. All right. Left, left Moody's, came down to Reno in 2010. Opened up Compo, which I've since sold. That's the one that won the Esquire. I had a place called Reno Provisions, which is now Liberty, which I'm sitting in right now. 
Shane Louis. We had Heritage, sold that. Compo Mammoth, still going. Okay, this is helpful. This is helpful. Thank you very much for painting that picture. Man, you've been busy. Uh, I got to give it. I can't hear the word trucky and not think of our, our, our past guest, uh, Misty Young. You must know Misty. It's a small. Oh, Misty's great. I've been to Truckee. I was in Tahoe not too long ago. That's when I first found you. I was trying to look for guests in Reno, and I, I, we weren't able to connect. You were out of town at that time, but I love that area. It's gorgeous. Uh, you, you, did, awesome. Did you Misty say you? Great. She has such a good job oh, up there. Dude, she's amazing. I knew her when she first took over the squeeze. Oh, I yeah. would go in there and get the runny nose sprouts and <laughs> she took it over. And man, her family, they've turned that thing into a, a, a kick-ass machine. Her daughters are doing a great job with it, man. Yeah, That's a yeah. really great family. So, okay. Back to your story though. Um, so, I mean, you spent some time at a big corporation. I think that's a good thing. But before we get into that, I want to do a little nugget. You said you were working for free. Would you recommend people do that today? I'm curious. Oh, yes. Why? We call it staging. It's staging, right? And that's where you work, go in and work for free. You find somebody you like, you want to learn more. Uh, you go in and knock on the door and say, can I come work for you? Sure. No problem. And, uh, you know, so I went to the Hyatt. I worked there. And, you know, I got a little bit harassed. Everyone thought I was a kiss ass. But I just was, I wanted, I wanted to immerse it. I just got out of culinary school. I didn't want to work just three to 11. You know, I was, I was getting paid for that. But at the time there was a kosher, there was a kosher kitchen I worked in. There was uh, a butcher shop, a saucier, a gamage, a bake shop, the, the cafeteria, the three meal restaurant. I was a line cook at the Italian restaurant. So, you know, I wanted to just immerse myself in everything possible. So it's basically like going to school for free again. Yeah. You know, and I, think, I think that working bingo, you just said it right there going to school for free again. And I, I, we were talking earlier about apprenticeships, right? And, and yeah. just this mentality that, that when you're young, um, you have two things, time and energy. And yeah. the older you get, the less of those things you get. Right. And you have to look at that time and energy as being an asset. There's more assets out there than just your money. And the, the, the tangible things you own, time and energy, use those assets to get out there, to get the experience, to network and do it for free. The, the value of showing your hustle and showing how badly you want it, like in, in, in putting that energy in, it will open so many doors for you and you can and the, the people. I don't think we put enough eff- emphasis. I mean, some people will say controversial, like your time is money. Don't be generous with your time. But I say if you're young and you're hungry. Yeah. use that time to show people how bad you want it and, and open those doors. What are you thinking when I'm saying this? You're, you're exactly right. Book, books are great. Watching videos are great, but getting there and doing it and spending the time with the feet and just kind of learning it again, you're not just learning the cooking part. The, the best things I learned was like from the guys who worked in Gamage who had been there for 20 years. They taught me about having a proper attitude. You know, these two guys, Ike and Jack, God rest their soul, they both passed away, but they would tell me about how, Hey man, every day you come in, you always say hello. We really appreciate that. You know, watch this. This guy only comes over and says hi when he wants something. Oh, watch this. Watch this. He never says goodbye and thank you. Watch it. You know, so I learned these lessons and, and by watching other people fail, and I, I've carried them on and I've added them to the weight. Like in our restaurant group, if you're a manager, even an employee, you have to walk in and say hello and goodbye. When yeah. you walk out, you have to say goodbye. When you walk in, you have to say hello. I love you're it. in trouble. Yeah. I mean, I had a short stint uh, when I first started the podcast, when I was managing a restaurant and I, I'm, that lesson right there of just making it a point 
to find everybody who's on staff to look them in the eyes and say goodbye. Thank you. You crushed it. We want to be seen. We need to be seen. It's right up there above. You got, you got your most, you need food and shelter. Then you need security and the right next is being seen, right? It's so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And then how do you learn things, right? So if I say goodbye to you every day, maybe one day I notice in your eyes that you're not feeling well, or I notice you're sad, or I notice an emotion on you. Hey, come on over, Eric. Tell me what's going on. And you might say, you know, something happened at home, which I can maybe help you with, or something's going on at work. Like I saw somebody do something that's not right. And then you you, you develop that relationship. And that's how your people get to kind of tell you what's going on in the world. And you I, just sit there and just only look at them like robots. Well, then they're, gonna, they're not going to give you the same respect. Yeah. I know you mentioned the gentlemen or the gentlemen that taught you this or have since passed, but let's, let's say their names just one more time to let their legacy uh, live on I, a little bit. Ike I, 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 Thomas, Isaiah Thomas, believe it or not. Uh, and Jack Thornhill. Nice. I mean, that's just an invaluable lesson. I just needed to. Oh, yeah. Cambridge, Massachusetts. Those guys to cook. Oh, I learned so much out of those guys. I mean, these guys, been, they were in it 30 years before I got to them. So they were cooking back in the, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s. I love it. So six years in corporate uh, Hyatt setting. I think that corporate experiences can be great. What did that teach you? You know, that taught me a little bit about the, uh, the business there. You know, my, my mentor chef, uh, Eric Houston, he's still with the company. He's a big wig and he, he's based out of Phoenix, Arizona now out of Scottsdale. And, um, you know, he taught me a lot about the, that, that kind of mentality that we need. You know, I don't even know if he, you know, I, te- I tease him cause he didn't really even have any knives. He just managed and, but he managed big departments and, and I learned about cost controls and in the high, it's a great, a great hotel chain. Uh, we've had really great food and beverage over the years. Uh, and still now I believe, um, and they have, uh, you know, banquets. I learned banquets. I learned offsite catering. You know, I, this, there was so many things going on back in those days. And, you know, it was, it was interesting to watch a, how a big corporation moved. And I, and I found out that that wasn't for me. You know, I, I, I really like the independent side which, of it. Which part of it wasn't for you? Uh, most likely the part where if there was like personnel issues, sometimes, you know, I was an executive sous chef and I was getting, getting ready to get my own hotel but we took bad managers who did bad things and we put them in other hotels. Mm. And I, and I, I, had a, I had a fundamental problem with that. And I won't name any names or say any locations, but it just, it just didn't make sense to me. If somebody did something wrong, it's like, just don't keep moving them around. You know, it's like the Catholic church where they were moving the priests all around who were doing bad things. <laughs> Wait, so I, I didn't, what, what is the, pro, the per point of moving them around? Is it because, Maybe they would do better. Or I just feel like, why are we sending our problems somewhere else? Why can't we just fix this? I feel this? you. I feel you. So, no, like yeah. send, them somewhere, send them the Ritz. So you, you, know, learned what you, <laughs> you learned what you didn't like, but I'm sure that these six years gave you a lot of good habits. A lot oh. of, what were some of the better habits that you absorbed from working in a corporate setting? Uh, I would definitely say the, the preparation for meetings, uh, financial preparation, um, understanding menu writing, uh, getting ahead on menu planning, uh, executing banquets, uh, really coaching and managing staff members. Uh, you know, as I became a manager, I learned a lot more. But as a line cook, you know, you, you know, you, they, they, they don't really teach you that much. They really want you to, to want that ability to be, um, uh, uh, to step it up, right? But I did learn a lot about, um, you know, the fact that, you know, not everyone's trying to climb the same ladder, right? So there's something that's, it's interesting to me. You know, there was a lot of people I worked with who were great, great, great cooks and managers that I didn't want them. Uh, they didn't want what I was, what I, they didn't want what I wanted. They didn't want what I had. They didn't want what I was doing. So I, I learned to partner up with them 
and have them support me. And I supported them. And it became a really, you know, that's that kind of teamwork I'm talking about. It's like, you know, not everyone could be the main dog, you know, and, you know, and any main dog who supported from the bottom is a heck of a lot stronger. And that's, and that's kind of how I built my career. I want to go deeper into this. So you started by saying uh, not everybody's climbing the same ladder. So it sounds like you're saying this combination of finding uh, the certain strengths and weaknesses, the end games and, and collaborating with people who had, were you looking for people, for people who had different end games or what exactly, how are you collaborating and creating those win-win situations? I don't quite understand. So, so for me, I knew what I wanted. You know, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to, I was willing to do anything, everything it took, sacrifice family, life, time, everything, missed everything in my life. I didn't care. I want to be the best. I want to own my own restaurants. I wanted to be at the time when I was at the Hyatt, uh, all I cared about was kind of getting my own hotel before I was 30 years old. Okay. And that was kind of a dream, right? So that's the, that's the goal I had set. And I was achieving it on my way. And throughout that time, I saw other managers maybe climb over people. And those managers fell. They weren't supported by the people below them. So they didn't develop those relationships that I learned back in my days in Cambridge. They didn't develop the rapport and understanding of what my strengths were, what their strengths were. Didn't get that hello, goodbye, thank you. I need you to support me and do a good job for me so I can continue to do a good job and, and, and work my way up. So I always so that I always created a team. Okay. Whether it was just a brigade of the people around me to help, you know, and not just was like the point of like getting them involved to make the decisions. Having them help on the menu. I know. I knew what I wanted on the menu. Hey, you know, Javier, what do you feel about this sauce? You know, uh, Mish, tell me, how do you like this? Does this fit with the profile that we were thinking about today? So they kind of bought into what we were doing. So then even when I was there working with them, if I was had to do all the stuff, they were doing it. They were doing our thing. It yes. wasn't a me thing. Yes. It was an us thing. So I, okay, I'm picking it up now. And this reminds me of what you were talking about in your TEDx, where not everybody wants the same thing. Some people want to rule the world, you know, rule, rule their city, be the top dog. Other people want to go to work, bust their ass, get their paycheck, and then clock out and not take it home with them. And that's fine. And, but you need to recognize who those people are and collaborate with those people. And that's, so you you identified these people who just wanted to bust their ass. And these became your teammates, your partners in the sense that, Hey, like I, if I'm going to, if I'm going to try to be the top dog, I'm, I can't do it by myself. So I'm going to, I'm going to compensate myself, my weaknesses with your strength so we can get there together. Is that, is that what I'm picking up from you? Perfect. That's a perfect, that's a perfect boil down of exactly what, I do and still do now. Yes, dude. Years later. That is the secret right there. I mean, it takes a team. It takes a village. And, yeah. and here's the greatest thing. And we were able to pass it on to other people. So now in my group, those restaurants we mentioned, right? I, I have two, two partners, both of them. One's in my director of operations. One's in culinary operations. They started with me as line cooks and a, an assistant manager in 2000 dude that's magic part of a 10 million dollar restaurant group that's magic right there man that is magic they're building theirs it's almost like a pyramid right and they're building theirs they have their people below and i got a guy right now one of my chefs he is gonna be better than me and i'm building and and we're working together he knows that and he's keeping me up and i'm bringing him up and together we're pushing each other and i love it you know that that for me is the way we do it i see it in all the great restaurants you know exactly we're you know just because well, just because Thomas Keller, Daniel Balloon, and all these unbelievable chefs 
they do the same thing with all their great proteges Exa- and they move on. And oh man, it's I, I want to, I want to pull back the layers in this, but I'm, I'm chomping at the bit. I, I I'm going to put it off till we start talking about your empire. Cause you have built your own little empire in, in Reno, um, Nevada. And I, I want to talk about that, but before we get into your own businesses, I want to reflect on, I mean, like we mentioned, uh, we, we kind of broke down the corporate experience. You were in San Francisco, Truckee, any key mentors that we have not brought to the surface, any key lessons, any key experiences in your past that are worth talking about before we take our first break. And I, I, your first, your first business was Moody's, correct? That's yeah, first okay. business ever was Moody's. Okay. So before this point, anybody that has not been brought to the conversation, any key lessons or mentors we can share before moving on. Well, the biggest thing was I was staging again now. I was staging in Berkeley, and everyone knows Chez Panisse. Mm-hmm. I spent three weeks there. I was working at a private country club, so we were closed. I spent three weeks there peeling fava beans in the springtime, getting ready to open the club. Last day, uh, it was great. I worked. It was amazing. I learned a ton, saw a ton, but did a lot of fava work. Last day of having lunch with a friend who got me the stage, Alice Waters walks over. She says, hey, Mark, great to meet you. Wendy, I'm glad Wendy brought you in. I heard you were a stud on the fava beans. Could have done it without you. Um, you know, uh, how's things up in Truckee, Lake Tahoe? I go, great. She goes, where do you get your uh, produce from? I go, the produce guy. She goes, there's no farms up there? I go, I don't know. She goes, why not? Where do you get your seafood from? Right? Where do you get your meat from? I see what's oh, going on. Oh, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Why not? Why not? Why not? I left, started crying, <laughs> took my big cell phone out, <laughs> called, called my produce guy. I said, we know any ranch? We know any farmers out there? He's like, my friend just opened up a, a, uh, a place. Let's, uh, let's give him a call. And this guy, Gary, was growing some produce, uh, was growing trees. And long story short, he has a, he's got a thriving produce business right now. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of started a local movement for myself and Reno and Lake Tahoe. Yeah. So Alice Waters really hit me right between the eye and uh, started me on my quest, which is kind of how I built my businesses. I mean, there's a few um, lessons to take from this story. One support local business, but I think there's a more, a deeper underlying lesson here. What is it? I think the question is, if you don't know the answer, you got to ask, why not? Yeah. Why not? Look, do the work. You know, yeah. when I looked, I found, you know, before that I didn't know. Yeah. And I think the other lesson too, is that I think we have a certain responsibility. We, we learn things as we go through life and as we mature into the ultimate being we become, we take up, we pick up certain values and we understand why those values are significant. And when we figure these things out, we need to reverberate, reverberate. We need to echo those, those important values to others so we can spread the word. And she, in that moment, in that one moment, and to this day, who you are as a chef, you can see it throughout your business, your desire to support local farmers, right? And it's our responsibility to echo these things and to share our values and to make communities better. Do you want to get into that? Absolutely. Well said. Thank That's you. Exactly. True. I mean, <laughs> you need to. Have, you need to have. I mean, what you know? What is your personal mantra? I mean, how do you? What do you do when you wake up and then when someone says, you know, what are you about? Right. Yeah. It's easy for me. Seasonal, simple, local, and fresh. Yeah. I mean, I don't know well, if we can trace it back to that one moment when right. Alice Waters had this conversation with you, but who knows? Maybe that was the the, the hinge, right? It was the hinge. It That's totally incredible. Was. Before that, we were just going to be another restaurant, and then when we opened Moody's. We had farmers and ranchers lined up with duck eggs and eggs. And I mean, this is 2001, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't as prevalent as now, you know, 20 years later, almost 20, 18 years later, it's very prevalent now. Everyone and their mother's using local food, but yes. thank God, you know, yes, Whole Foods and- is here and co-ops are here and 
you know, people want that now. It's kind of like, you know, you recycle, you, you buy local food. It goes hand in hand. Yeah. And just thank you so much for sharing that story. Cause I feel like you just in that one story, like embodied the essence of restaurant unstoppable with the mission just to get to get lessons like that values like that principles like that virtues like that into to cap encapsulate them and, and, and echo them throughout the industry. So people are trying to show up better on, on that note. I think we can take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll come back to talk about your first restaurant Moody's. Did you know toast is the number one most recommended POS on restaurant unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time get one month of free pos software three months of free digital ordering tools and 50 percent off implementation to ease the impact of covid19 this is a value of one thousand dollars one more time that's toasttab dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars so we're back and uh you were just talking about your experience uh with alice water and how she influenced your first restaurant um take us to that point where you're you're sitting out you know that you're going to open your first restaurant you're visioning you're going through the motions paint that picture of who you were at this point knowing what you know now we're paint that picture for us that's a great that's a great question a great leading question for me I will tell you, I was the 31-year-old uh, rock star chef, uh, you know, had been real successful at the Hyatt, had run a, a, a private country club for three years, got to stage all around the country, spent time with Greg Koontz, spent time in, 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 with Spanish chefs, and uh, Jose Andreas spent time with um, uh, Alice Waters. Here we are, getting ready to open our first restaurant, and one of my investors um, – said, hey, you guys really need to set up some systems. What's the system? What's the P&L system? What's this? What's that? We were like, no, we want to build it with our hands. We're taking holes and banging out walls and helping the contractor and taking rocks out of there and, you know, and, and, and paying attention to all that stuff. And um, lo and behold, we opened the restaurant. It's packed. I mean, we're doing 300 grand a month in sales, and but we're losing money. Really? None of our systems were set up. We didn't pay attention to all the things we should have paid attention to. We ended up, thank God, catching our breath, getting a chance to get all that stuff underneath us. But, you know, what we didn't know then came back and hurt us. And, you know, that, that business side of it is the part that um, back then really came up and snuck up on us. And we were able to kind of dig our way out of there uh, by extra hard work and start a catering company. But um, the things I know now are make sure that budget is set. Make sure that you understand that P&L. If you're going to be the owner of a restaurant and start your own restaurant, either you know, hire a great accountant, understand all the systems, have a checks and balances in place. There's so much business that goes into a restaurant and opening a restaurant. And then, and then, and then, then you open it and it becomes a whole new ballgame. Yeah, so my, and that's what happened to 
plus. Yeah, my, my follow-up question was going to be, what were those things you weren't paying attention to? But I think you kind of mentioned them, budgeting, P, your P&L. Um, yeah. Any specific lessons, any specific things that, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but if you can give us a nugget, something that you, knowing what you know now that maybe not, might not be as common knowledge or as obvious, what was one thing that you weren't paying attention to? I would probably say the fact that you get to kind of, you got to balance like the, the culinary, you know, the culinary slash beverage wants of the, of what you really feel is right to the, the financial fiscal responsibility side of things. Right. Okay. Um, that's part of the hardest thing that we have to do is to try to find that out. And then when you, when you, if you, if they don't match up and you realize that you're, you can't have all that labor to do all these dreams you had, you end up doing it yourself. Yeah. So what's the secret to being able to do what's right? What's you know responsible and also be profitable. What, what are some of the tricks of the trade that you picked up and how to do that? The easiest trick. And uh, a lot of it, a lot of it is kind of either experiencing it firsthand or if you're, if you're out of job now and you're thinking about going out on your own, uh, I really suggest talking to whoever's in charge of the numbers and saying, Hey, could I stage with you on the number side of things? You mind if I sit on a few P and L's, you know, maybe they, we are an open book manager. We let everyone see everything. I got open Komodo the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's how we have, that's the way how we help people open their own place. And, and if you, uh, if you, if your place isn't like that, maybe they'll, they'll share numbers with you, but if you can see the systems they have it, I say just the understanding you have this manage to the percentages. Okay. Budget's great. It's guesstimation, right? Actual. You need to know the actual is going to tell you what your percentages are. So if you do 10 grand in sales, you got, Three grand for cost of goods. You got three grand for, for, for labor for the day. That's pretty simple. Yes. Right? But the point is, is if you do five grand in sales the next day, you don't have three and three. You just lost a grand. You see what I'm saying? I got so you. So managing those percentages and understanding that, uh, you know, and then everything, I think everyone does it pretty much the same for the most part. If you're open seven days a week, granted, Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, a little slower. So you might have a little higher. And then Wednesday, Thursday gets a little bit busier, so it gets a little bit. You make your money on Thursday, Friday, Saturday when your percentages are much lower than that, and you're cranking sales. So you got to just try to find that mix. You know, there's a there's a ton of literature out there, a ton of webinars out there, a ton of things. I don't think is as good podcast as yours is out there for this, <laughs> but you know, the idea being is. You just got to surround yourself and understand you don't know what you don't know. That's so funny. I literally have this book sitting right next to me. This gentleman I'm looking, Zachary, uh, it's either Weiner or Wiener. I apologize, Zachary, um, but it's QuickBooks for restaurants. So, I mean, there maybe the book is out there. Maybe the podcast will be uh, happening soon. He's on my radar. A couple of favorite ones that I've used in the past, but I think I actually lent one of them out, but it's uh, Zingerman's. It's uh, oh. Ari Weisenberg. Zingerman's guide to, uh, yep, there you go. The whole program. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's so funny. He's like, he is my, my restaurant man crush. I'm, you heard it here. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to admit three, three classes from him. He's an amazing man. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to actually cats out of the back. I'm trying to get him back real hard right now, just because he's just, he, I, I really just am so far behind what he's doing. Not far behind, but I'm behind him and what he's doing is what I'm trying to say. Like, to the, to the nth degree. I, I love what they're I doing. I haven't to him. Email me offline and I'll uh, connect you to it. I'm He's a past guest on the show. I just need to get him back. <laughs> but I will use this as leverage for sure. You can you can uh, count on that. So the other thing that you, you mentioned, I don't want to forget to ask. You, we, thank you for the details on some of the ways we can manage budget and things we can do to be focusing on. The, I think the, the big takeaway there was 
uh, manage percentages, right? When you're management, think about the percentages, manage those percentages with the takeaway uh, checks and balances with something else that you didn't have in place when you were opening Moody's. So what, what bar, give me some examples of those checks and balances that we should be creating from the very early days. So, I mean, you just want access to the numbers on a daily basis or at the very least every other day or at the very, very least every week uh, to make decisions, to make information based decisions. Uh, so what that means, if you have a P&L scenario with QuickBooks or C2IT or we're, we just changed over to Restaurant 365. There's so Sponsor of the show. software systems out there. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I cut you short. I just wanted to say Restaurant 365, current sponsor of the show. We love them. Thank you, Restaurant 365. We are so in love with Restaurant 365. Uh, Shout out Restaurant 365. I think we have a pretty pretty, uh, advanced team here with that many restaurants that we do. I think our guy has shown them. When our guy is, Nick is so impressed with what we're doing, but also we've taught them a few things too, which is kind of cool. That's cool. I think I got you off track with your um, with our with our restaurant three sixty five love. Uh, so we were talking about checks and balances. How is restaurant three sixty five serving as a check and balance? So we got up to date knowledge, uh, up to date reporting on labor and cost of goods, uh, sales and budget on a daily basis. So it's on. Informed business decisions. Gotcha. Gotcha. Beautiful. Uh, any other big lessons from your ten years? At, it was ten years, right, at Moody's. Yeah, ten years. I would probably say. Um, uh, numbers never take a day off. Uh, so, you know, that P&L does not lie and those numbers never take a day off. So you got to get in there. It, trust me, I had a lot of, we had a lot of fun. My partner, JJ and I, uh, we did have the ability, I did get to cook for Paul McCartney twice and he played at our restaurant twice too, uh, which kind of made some uh, worldwide news. Tricky um, is a very charming town. Like I, I only rolled through one day, um, yeah. but it's, it's definitely got that old mountain town vibe and it's, there's tons of charm there. Um, I don't know why it's worth bringing. <laughs> I'm saying that now, but I want to take it away there. And I've, and I've learned it is take the job that you le- like the least and make it your favorite and mm. you never have a bad day. Take the job you like the least and make it yep. your favorite and you'll never have a bad day. How do you take the job you like the least and make it your favorite? Let's just say like, you don't like looking at numbers, but make it, make it like the first thing you do when you have a cup of coffee or, as you go for a run or, you know, you know, nowadays with the phones, but before, you know, maybe on a stationary bike, you could read the P and L take the things that you don't really like about your day and try to make them your favorite part. And eventually you end up loving it. And then everything else you already loved, save the wire. You never have a bad day. I feel like there's another, I think we can go deeper. So what kind of mindset does that take? I think that's where this is. It's, it's a mindset thing. It's, it's how did you get to that point where you love the things that you hate? What did that internal dialogue look like? Well, it's definitely a Jedi mind trick to a certain degree, (laughs) but if you're going to be unstoppable, if you're going to put the time, energy, effort into what you're doing in your business and you're going to own your own restaurant or get towards owning your own restaurant, you're going to go, you're going to do things that you've never thought you could humanly do. Mm. I can promise you that much. Mm. Uh, Unless you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, If you're lucky, lucky, that's great. I'm happy for you. (laughs) Um, But you're going to go through some, you're going to go through some mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional anguish. Mm. And uh, if you can, if you can learn to harness that power and and turn that into positive things, you know, I mean, look at the amount of mental illness we have in our, in our business. Look at the amount. I mean, shit, I was sober for 10 years. You know, I drank myself, you know, self-medicated myself until I got my act together mm. uh, and, and had to kind of, 
I learned to kind of, I learned a lot of these skills when I learned more life skills. And, uh, you know, that, that's a big part of our, a big part of our business these days. Yeah. But I think it's really important. I mean, we, I was kind of making light of the statement. You said, you got to make yourself, you got to love the thing that you hate doing like, like as if it's not possible, but the thing is it's totally possible. And, totally possible. and the, that's the beauty of being homo sapien. We have this thing in the front of our head. It's called the frontal lobe that gives us the power to override emotion and to take all these anxieties, all these feelings that we have and squash them because that's that's happening in the, the reptilian part of our mind or not even the reptilian, more like the the, the animal and the more primitive part of our mind. Uh, and the, we don't need those things. Those aren't they're, they're not even real. You know, like they're inside of us. And once we can identify these emotions and say, well, you know what? I don't need that emotion. That emotion is not serving me. Like you squash it and override it and choose to be happy, which is the really magic. We get to choose that too. It is totally possible. And it's a gift that we've been given for, for sure. Yeah. And it's something that you shouldn't take lightly. And it's something that you should try to, you know, you can apply that in your personal life at home. You can apply that in any other place in your life. And I find that uh, life's gotten a heck of a lot easier once I've taken that approach as opposed to before, maybe at the Moody's days, in the beginning Moody's days, which was, you know, oh, poor me. Uh, my life's so hard. I'm this persecuted worker. You know, oh, I have to work 85 hours a week. Wah, wah, wah. And my business partner said to me, hey, you're an idiot. Work less or fix yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, you know, he was, he was, he was really smart. And he kind of taught me a few other things, you know. And he's like, just, you know, that, that's on you, Mark. You know, don't blame that on me. Yeah. So, you know, I feel you. Like, I knowledge feel you. comes in the most interesting ways. It does, right? Uh so ten years at Moody's in Truckee, California. Um, why leave? What was going on? It sounds like you had I mean, usually it takes time to build up this reputation, this network in a community. You spent ten years building that network, building this reputation within this community, and yeah. you left that. Why did you leave? Well, you know, I had some really great we had some really great times there. My, part, my business partner and I, uh, you know, we went through our little ups and downs. I had a little time away. He had some time away. Um, and the restaurant, you know, we had the big crash, uh, 08, 09, especially Truckee. We got hit real hard. And really, there was only room enough for one of us in the restaurant. So when he came back in from some, a couple of years off, I uh, had an opportunity to either go back to Boston. I was going to go to Napa or San Francisco or Reno. And I chose Reno. I found this really cool spot down there. I had some friends kind of say, hey, I got an idea to help you start a restaurant. And I had this, I had this vision of this restaurant that I ended up opening up in uh, 2010 called Campo um, down here in Reno right across the street. And it was this kind of Italian-focused, wood-burning oven, fresh pastas, communal gathering place, you know, uh, uh, really fun, energetic, uh, inexpensive, um, you know, like Italian trattoria, straight out of straight out of all the magazines that you'd see. And I actually just got back from Italy at the time, and I said I knew what I wanted to do. So that brought us that brought us to Trekkie. Yeah. So why, why, what was? I mean, you mentioned you had friends in Reno. I mean, I think that's a good move. But what was it about Reno that said to you this is a good market? To open this restaurant, this is a good market. This is where I want to move my my career to to invest in my future. Why Reno? First off, that's a great question because I would have started off by saying I I would have asked myself why did I want to go? I spent ten years as a restaurant owner in Truckee. I had three locate. I had three different things going on up there. I came to Reno because it's a half hour away, and believe it or not, the the, the co op down here 
and I researched the farmers and ranches and talked to a few other restaurants. Uh, and there's more local food down here in Reno than there is in Tahoe in all the regions in Tahoe back, especially back in 2010. Mm -hmm. And I partnered up with a few different ranches and farmers down here. And, uh, I've been already working my butchery skills and we started making salamis and I started really getting into some of this really like kind of, uh, hard ass, uh, everything homemade scratch, um, everything, uh, everything by hand. Yeah. And I, it made sense to come to Reno. I feel like I was able, when I came down, everyone knew who I was already. And they're like, oh, you're bringing that. Oh, you're coming here. Nice. Awesome. It was kind of a big deal. Well, I was going to say, it sounds like the, the lesson we pulled from earlier, this idea of knowing who you are, knowing where you want to go and finding the people that can complement where you're going and giving you that foundation. It sounds like you had the pieces of your puzzle in Reno, the people yep. that you needed to fit together to build this empire, your, your community. Yep. We started, we started with that. We started with the basics. I also knew that I wanted to set it up financially differently. So I really paid attention to the numbers on a daily basis, which was part of our open book management. Uh, we had a mission and concept statement that we've still followed to this day. We are really in tune with our employees and the community. Um, you know, we use social media and all the new tools that were available to us to try to really kind of, uh, you know, really encompass ourselves uh, with a, you know, with a great culture. Yeah. And uh, that culture kind of kicked us off into the next realm of this restaurant growth. Yeah. Let's backpedal a little bit. You said you wanted to open this financially different. Paint the picture of how, what, what, do you, what do you mean financially different? What was it before and what did you want it to be? So we go back to Moody's where I really didn't have any systems in place. And I just was, I knew the French fries are great because I made lunch, cooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner for everybody. When I opened up down here, I still had the same, I still had the same uh, control of the food. I brought in a few really great chefs to, to, to work with me and uh, help me create the concept. But I also, we really had a great financial sense of, you know, we let the numbers dictate what we're going to do. So we, 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 we shot really low and then we grew into it versus overshooting and having to break it down. So, you know, I knew daily where we were from a standpoint of food, cost of goods, cost of beverage. Wait, I want to make sure uh, I understand. I want to make sure I understand. So you said you started low, meaning what do you, what do you mean starting low? You started low. So, so to forecast, to forecast a restaurant, if you're trying to do a P&L, right, we're going to try to raise money. So, you know, I might say, oh, we're going to do 50 grand a week. 75 grand a week, 100 grand a week. And I'd say, okay, 100 grand a week is really high. 75 is middle. 50 is my worst case scenario. So I forecast everything at the lowest case scenario. And and right away we came out and we were successful because we jumped up right away to like 75K. Okay, so, so I'm loving this so much. I, I, and I wanted to make sure that I understood before I made my point. I always say two things determine your growth. One is people. The other is cash flow. Yep. And if you if you keep that cash flow, what you're saying, the lesson I feel like is if you keep that cash flow reasonable and uh, and manageable, then then you don't out of the gates you don't overshoot, you don't try to overachieve. And then as you start getting that cash as the cash flow increases, then you can start to say, well, we have more cash flow now. Our priorities are low. Or sorry, our liabilities are low because we only were planning and forecasting for 50k. Yes. Gotcha. Yes, 100%. Got you. Cash flow, cash flow is king. I love it. So always so it's always better to undershoot and yep. to be to know that you can manage your liabilities with the littlest amount possible and then as cash flow increases that's how you scale. Yep. And you went I mean, with that mentality. Scary line, you get a scary line, you know, we ended up there with six managers, we started with two. <laughs> but, you know, we we worked our fingers to the bone and and we just said, "Hey, 
all your hourly people, you know, we identified they eventually would be managers. We just had to pay them a little extra overtime, and and you know, until we until we knew we, we had the 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 the, the, the uh, money in the bank to cover cover the labor. We knew that uh, sales were were stable, and we were going to continue to do these numbers. And you know, we let that kind of dictate the business. We never sacrificed the food, you know. Mm. So yeah, that's the that's the part that we learned was don't let that sacrifice the food. We held our line, and then we just built forward, and that. And that's that slog and that's that mental toughness that I built. That's the mental toughness that we built as a company. That's the mental toughness that you can teach people. Um, and things like this are really important that people understand yeah. exactly all the steps that go into it, you know? So you knew going into this that you're, and I think this is something, and I, I really hope that we inspire more people to do what you did, to put the priority on the value of food, right? To put the value in the food. Where did you make up if your food's so expensive and you're choosing to put the, the, the value in the food, where were you making up the, the rest to be able to, to be able to justify and sustain that? When, once we started doing a few things with um, we made a lot of things ourselves. So we didn't have to buy many things in. Uh, so granted, yeah, we, we bought the whole pigs. We spent more money on, we spent more, we, we spent more money on the great local vegetables. We bought all the local animals whole and all our stuff whole. We spent more money on labor. But our cost of goods was in line. So, you know, cost of goods was at 25% and our, our labor was at 35%. You know, we're always shooting for that 60 blend. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so we still had it, uh, but we used more hands. And then, you know, as an owner, as, you know, I still cook, but not as much as I used to. Um, as an owner, I, you know, I, you know, I did all the work myself and the other sous chef. We, we, we pounded, you know, we pounded, we worked 16 hour days for ever. How long did it take you to to eventually remove yourself from the the in the business to, to where you you are now, where you're you're pretty much working on the business. You you're, you have time to talk to me, so, yep. <laughs> so you, and I know recently you just hired a new chef at Liberty um, to replace you full time. Um, yep. Chef, it's um, all dictated by cash flow. Also, what's you that? Know, it's like I can afford to be the CEO of my company now, chef CEO of the company because. All our restaurants have really good, strong cash flow. Well, you know, they were, they did, and they'll, they'll eventually get back where we were. But, you know, we're working really hard to, to make sure that everybody has a seat at the table, that, you know, you can't have, even though I love cooking the most, uh, I've learned my business side of things and that, you know, um, during the, the last 10 weeks, I was the only chef on staff and I cooked for all the different things we had going on. And then now we start to bring staff back. Um, you know, I'm getting to kind of transition into back into that CEO role so I can throw on the, I can throw on the kitchen eyes and get in there and mix it up and now I'll kind of do both things. Got you. Um, so where, I mean, you, we, there's just so much that's on the table right now. And this is the tough part when I get somebody like you, who's got such a, a track record of success and longevity in the industry. Like what, what do we talk about? Right. You, you've opened how many restaurants since you've been in Reno five Ah, uh, well, if you count the ones I've opened, sold, and closed, it's close to like 12. 12. Okay. So I'm just going to, I, I don't know where to go, so I'm going to let you tell us where to go. If you can reflect over the past 10 years of opening and closing restaurants, uh, evolving as a, as a restaurant or learning, what were the biggest lessons you've had in the past 10 years? You know, the, I probably said my biggest lessons would be the fact like, you know, I've had some really shitty things happen. Give me an example. Uh, I've had some... Uh, I've had, uh, I've lost, I've lost $2 million in a restaurant, had to close it and didn't bankrupt 
fought my way back. Uh, we've had a, we've had an E. coli. We had a case of E. coli come out of my pastry shop with a uh, past employee manager um, that we you know we had to settle that case and 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 you know that didn't necessarily help the two million dollar loss either. Uh, I've had to weather that storm and not really know anything about it and uh, kind of dig my way out of that, which was not very fun at all. Wait, um, you said this was a lawsuit? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we had a, a, an, e, an E. coli breakout based on a uh, tainted dessert that was sold from uh, an old pastry chef. Okay. So, and, you know, the health department came in and was like, hey, we sold it to two different uh, outlets, two different restaurants. And people got sick. No one died, thank God. Oof. And everyone got taken care of via the insurance. But I had to stand there and take all those take all those punches. So this is this all one thing? The two million dollar hit the lawsuit in the bankruptcy. Is that yeah, all? $2 to tie dollars happened. That happened before. Okay. This, this is the nail in the coffin. All right. So let's let's talk about the first um, hiccup. The two million dollars. What what happened? And I don't know what you're at liberty to discuss. But yeah. if you reflecting back, what happened? What would you have done differently to protect yourself from that situation? Paint it out for us. So it's funny. I seem to make the same mistakes a couple times, right? Keep the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Definition of crazy. Yeah. But uh, I'm a little crazy. The it takes, it takes idea crazy. Was, uh, eventually, I get it right, though. Yeah. The idea was um, the same way. The same way that I kind of I developed this these seven restaurants, and we were uh, and I wanted I created kind of our food hub, and we were making grinding all the buying the animals, grinding the animals making the burger buns, you know, everything. We were supplying three burgery restaurants. I was supplying all the restaurants I was doing. I was man. I had a couple of management contracts out there. It was this beautiful thing. And someone came to me and said, after I knew, and I knew the numbers, I kind of got a little sideways. I brought in different partners and different managing aspects. And someone came and said, Hey Mark, who's the CEO? And I said, Oh, not me. And they said, well, you need a CEO. You're, 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 you're really taking your business here. And come to find out, I didn't. I had the managers in place, but I didn't have the, the support that I needed to be uh, – I didn't have the, 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 the team around me. You know, I had taken care of everyone below, but as I came out, it was just me. And I'm just a dishwasher from Boston. <laughs> so I, didn't have, I didn't have that set up there. Um, okay. So, the, so I think by the time I figured it out, I probably should have just – I did. I closed it. I closed it, but then I, I didn't bankrupt. I sold. I sold a few of my key. I sold a couple of golden geese. Uh, I sold Campo. I sold Burger Me, two Burger Me restaurants. And I took that money and I, I started to fill the hole. And let's say there was a million dollars left. And then I, I didn't, you know, I just went to work. So I don't know if I'm still quite picking up the, the, the essence of the story, the, the big lesson, I think it's there and I want to really make sure it's crystal clear. So you built up everybody around you. Um, cause the, I mean, these are a lot of moving parts to, to get multiple different yeah. businesses. It's almost like you're, you're going for that Zingerman's model of vertical integration, right? That's what uh, we were doing. Yeah. Um, and what you're saying is you, you spent all of your time, um, building up everyone around you and giving them the things that they need, the systems and the processes and the, the resources they needed. But when you emerged above that, you didn't have what you need. What, what, what you, and you said a CEO was what you needed. Yes. Yeah, so we had, we had, we had built a great restaurant group and each restaurant in its own right was, uh, was doing great. But the place, the place that was going to be the market 
And it was like this, it was our own version of the Zingerman's beautiful, beautiful place, ready to rock and roll with all these different facets. That was new to us. And we didn't, it wasn't a restaurant. It was, a, it was 15 different things. And I didn't have, I, I had all these managers, but then you get up to the corporate level and I didn't have that set up. So I didn't have the CFO, the CMO, the CEO. So up at the top, no one was speaking to each other because it was just me. Okay, I'm picking it up now. So that you, was I missed that next layer, which I have now. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So that over the last five years. The ultimate vision was to get all these these satellite businesses that serve their own unique purpose, kind of like back. This is the theme of today's show, is like is surrounding yourself with that foundation and, and rounding yourself off with other people with other intentions, with other destinations, and saying, How can we go someplace similar but collectively? but different in our own regard, right? And then you bring them together to serve one purpose. Uh, that's the vertical. And just for anybody who's listening, that's what we mean by the vertical integration. Like with the Zingerman's school of thought, it's they had an opportunity to scale nationwide, but they chose to take that energy and instead of going out, they went deep and they put all that energy into their community to, to strengthen the relationships within their community. And that's what we were, that, that's the, the, the future I would like to see for the restaurant industry personally. Um, that's why you're here today because clearly you have those same values. Uh, but when you, when you think like that, there's, there's another layer that's necessary. There's, there's the upper layer of the managers that manage that. And yep. those layers are CEO, CFO, uh, CMO, like all the, all the O's, yep. all the officers. So, you know, I had, I had a scratch pad and I was moving the numbers around and I was moving <laughs> money all around. And, you know, it just, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. It just caught up to me. And I was like, oh man, here I am again. Yeah. But I'm a shit creek survivor. <laughs> I know how to put my nose down to work. Yeah. Also, I weathered, weathered the storm, didn't know what was going to happen next. And lo and behold, you know, I got some other opportunities. And since then, uh, I'd like to think that we made some really good decisions. I brought on a CFO partner. Uh, I've taken a lot of classes. I've learned to listen. I've hired Tommy and Nick, and I've promoted a lot of people from within. We've strengthened our core. You know, and I, I, I was a big fan of vertical integration. I used to love talking about Henry Ford. He was the first American, as I understand, company to vertically integrate, right? So he was making – he had a leather company, and he was selling to Pontiac and to GMC – and himself and that we would do, we do the same thing now. I sell, I sell products to other people. So, but I forgot every, every Ford went bankrupt a few times before he got there. So, you know, but he kept on his vision and that's kind of, that's kind of how I feel like what we're doing now. Yeah. You said you brought on a CFO chief financial officer in the Tommy and Nick, well, who are Tommy and Nick? What roles did they play? Our director of culinary operations and Nick's our director of operations and kind of my, and my role as a CEO, um, Kind of Tanya. Tanya is our CFO, and she manages. She makes sure all makes sure our, our finances are in, in in check. I'm kind of the leader, looking at different deals and and creating that excitement. And Tommy is kind of all boots in 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 all things in kitchen, and Nick's kind of all things in front of the house. And then you know we just have, we 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 were using C to it for the last 50, ten years. We just transferred over to Restaurant 365. So. Now our managers have a really great, they've always had a great responsibility to the PL also. Yeah. So one thing I'm curious about, as you're setting up all these these businesses for vertical integration, what about business entity? What type of business are you? Is there one single LLC that governs all those or is it separate? How did you guys approach that? So it's definitely different approaches. 
all depends on, you know, some of the state, check your state tax code where you are. We have no state tax here in Nevada, so that's great. So we set up everything here as LLCs. Is it just uh, an LLC yeah. or is it multiple LLCs? How's it work? Yeah, we have, I have, we have about seven different LLCs and over the, and right now we're in the middle of uh, kind of swooping it all up into a management group. So uh, we have one kind of overseeing management group and that pays, you know, we just, you know, we just financially strategize what the best, what the best scenarios for us with six restaurants, one group, this company, Sasso Concepts, pays everybody, right? Everyone pays into the pot here. We really were able to drive down a lot of our uh, fixed costs from uh, uh, our EIDC, unemployment insurance, insurance, um, uh, a lot of our health plans have just gotten so much better and more affordable for our, ourselves and our staff. Uh, it allows us to pay ourselves better. And then each company is its own LLC. So it's like a management group company and every company has its own LLC. Why is that important to, to break it up and keep them isolated? Well, like that? There, there's definitely some legal and I'm, you know, I don't want to, I'm not an ex, too much of an expert on that. I, you know, so it's just my opinion. You got, you got your chief legal officer for that, right? Exactly, right? <laughs> uh, is one where we're more fiscally protected from that. And you can't pierce the corporate veil. If one company did screw up or one company did go BK, it wouldn't bring everything down. Yes. Uh, that's one really good benefit of that. Uh, each, each entity, uh, needs to really manage itself. And so we can see the actual numbers from each place. If everything's all jumbled up, you can't really see if it's jumbled up. You can't get a good idea what's going on in there daily. Yeah. That's been the two biggest reasons why we kept everything separate. I love it. You've been giving us some great stuff today. Uh, chef, you really have, I'm loving the conversation. We started today's conversation. Um, the, the today's free flowing conversation with this idea of creating culture of learning, caring and respect. And I kind of want to come full circle. And we talked a lot about business operations. Um, but how are you making sure that these things, learning, caring, respect are happening every day? How are you constantly living that culture every day? Well, you know, I could talk about uh, pre COVID uh, and, then, and then what we're doing right now. Oh, what was that? Or oh, you want to just go well, right to what we're, we're definitely right going to get into COVID, but before okay. we rewrap, before we get into that, I wanted to st- tie up this portion of the conversation with culture. The the way, the ways that we kind of make sure that our caring learning, caring, learning and respect culture goes on on a daily basis is, you know, we stay in touch with everybody. Uh, We we empower our managers and our managers believe in that. When we have our weekly meetings, which are so key, you know, they, they, we read that we start off by reading our mission statement, every single management. Mm. And then that mission statement is posted in the restaurant. And then when we do our lineups, we do an AM lineup for lunch and a PM lineup for dinner. Uh, that Mr. Statement's right again. Yeah. And we live it and we, and we, and we breathe it yeah. and we don't laugh at it. We don't scoff at it. We say, this is who we are. Yeah. The, the, the big lesson I recently learned on the show that's like, was like the next for me, it was like, okay, something new, another layer, another layer, another layer of knowledge on top of what we've learned is this idea of rituals and language. Uh, and we talk about culture all the time, right? Culture, 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 but every culture has a, a, has rituals and it has languages, right? And yeah, and and, uh, that came from Mario Del Perro from Mendocino's farms. Uh, and, uh, and that's what you're doing when you have these meetings, 
those are rituals and your language is that mission statement, right? Uh, These words you use to describe who we are and what we do. And we need to start thinking about these things and we need to make them rituals. Like they need to happen constantly to reinforce who we are, our culture. And that's what I'm hearing from you. Absolutely. And then, you know, you call that your SOPs, right? Mm -hmm. Your standard operating procedure. We set up the, we set up the pass the same way every day. We set the bus station up every the same way every day. We set the pizza station up the same way every day. When we cut the kale, it goes in the same container the same way every day. When we come bring the dishes up, we bring them the same way every day. We don't change those things, and it's a reason because it works best. Yes. Now, if someone has an idea and they want to make it better, we're all ears. You got to get, make sure you got to prove that it works. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So, so, so this is a question before we go to COVID. Um, one thing I want to ask all my guests, our mission statement, speaking of rituals, our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you transformed over these 25 plus years? Oh, I've become, uh, in the last 25 years, I think I've become more of a, uh, uh, more of a listener. Um, I become, believe it or not, more vocal. Uh, when I listen a lot and pay attention to what's going on, I kind of feel if I see something and I don't say something, I'm, I'm, I'm missing my opportunity. Mm. You know, so um, I've learned, I was very aggressive at the beginning of my career and it, it served me decently. But, you know, I used to be, I used to be that aggro chef. I necessarily, you know, I, I, I had respect, but I, I might have, I might have, people might have feared me versus really cared for me. Mm-hmm. And as time has gone over the years, I've kind of learned to kind of turn that the other way around and, 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 and kind of use that into like building a team and, you know, using my football skills to, to lead. And now making sure that I'm, if I see something, I say something and the way I say it is with caring respect. I love and it's, it. it's received a lot better. I love it. Uh, okay. Thank you for getting into that. And uh, we have to talk about COVID um, instead of, I, I, I decided to drop the, the Corona Chronicles because I feel like it's here it's among us. Let's just kind of incorporate uh, COVID into the chronological. And now we're current time, right? Where we COVID's hit, we felt the pain. Um, how did you react to that? I don't want to spend so much time on how you reacted. Is more about now what you're doing in your business right now to to adapt and what you what you hope what you plan to do in the future to stay relevant. So get into that. So what we did is uh, two days before the governor closed down Nevada, we closed down, laid off all 222 people in our company. Oof. How we was, knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah, we helped them. My ourselves included. Well, we didn't get any pay, but my, the partners and I, we brought in. We had our management team. We all stayed. We went to every restaurant, shook everybody's hand, gave them a bunch of food, said, "Let's stay in touch." And then we we sat back for a couple of days and tried to gather our marbles. And we opened up a little bit of part time, a little bit of time, and did some to go orders. I got involved in a few programs of feeding homeless people and feeding people in need. Still doing that now. One's called Delivering with Dignity Reno Sparks. It's probably going to go to the end of the year. Okay. Lieutenant Governor, myself, and another uh, United Way got together. We're feeding people out of the back of our restaurant. And then, and then, you know, what we're doing is we've just been in contact with everybody. And over the last few weeks, we, you know, we started to bring some people back uh, to do the to-go orders. And we pivoted to a store scenario and online ordering scenario. And yesterday... We reopened uh, two, three of the restaurants, and today we opened the fourth. Nice. How's it so, feel? And we just we're following all the we're following our CDC, Washoe County, our state. We've retrained our people. We're taking it serious. We're trying to be right down the middle here. We're saying, 
some people don't give a seem not to care about the virus, right? And you know, I, I took this. I was I always have this on. I took it off for this. Yeah, I'm sitting in my office right now. But uh, you know, the some people don't care about the virus, and 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 I'm not gonna. We're not telling them what to do. We're not requiring them to wear a mask. We have a self check. We have a whole program. I'll gladly share my my reopening packet with you if you wish. Yeah, if you are willing, I'll, I'm absolutely. Any way you want. I'd love to share that in the show notes for sure. If you're willing to share that, thank you. Case of, it's a case of us saying like. You know, we're going to do everything we possibly can to keep ourselves safe. We want to make sure our staff's safe. Our staff's been retrained on all this information and knowledge. And then we're making sure that we're giving our guests the chance to be retrained also. Mm. What do you mean by guests, that? The guests are, need to be, the customers need to be retrained. Well, how, what do you mean? Get into that. You know, I, I, one of my friends gave me this note. She's, uh, she owns a, a retail shop and she's, she's killing it. And she's like, Mark, get ready to retrain your customers. And I thought about it. When I went to the gro- when I went to the market or I went to the grocery store, I went to the uh, Home Depot. I had to really kind of learn how to behave in there again, you know. You know, mask, no mask. Some people gloves, some people wrapped in plastic, some people not caring, some some people gather. You know, I just had to, you know I had to I had to mentally process. What was I? Where was my role? Was I going to yell at him? No. Was I going to be mad? No. Was I going to walk the other way? Yeah, I kind of avoided him. Was I going to go back to the store? Maybe. You know, I just I just had to kind of learn to be a customer again. And, uh, and that's, and that's what we kind of taught, trained our staff to explain and understand, to give the grace and space for our customers to learn, you know, and we want to answer the questions and we made these, we got these really cool things. Uh, my buddy had this idea. So we made these stickers for all our masks. Okay. Right? They're like, well, uh, uh, another customer, she said, Hey Mark, I just went to a restaurant. It's so dreary. She goes, let your staff paint pictures. And so you went back to that idea. Remember that TV show, uh, the movie Waiting, and they had the, the flare? Yeah. Check these stickers out. Right? Are those and, smiley uh, faces? Uh, I'm busy. Uh, cool, man. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, so I reached out to my buddy. He, he, he's a, he makes badges, like a national cut for badges. He made all these killer, look at this, like braces. Right? He's going right out. Right on the outside of your mask. It's true, though. I mean, there's one thing I've been thinking about. Like, we, so much of what we do is being shielded with our face now. Like, yes. we need to communicate with our smiles, and uh, you know, and we we can't even smile to people anymore. And then I know that we're happy. There's never been a time that's been more important to smile with your eyes. Is something that I always used to say. And when you smile so big that your eyes light up, right? And before COVID, remember you? Now I was a waiter too, and I, when I was going to culinary school, I used to serve tables. If I got my hand on a shoulder, I had 25% tip. Done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Not even a question. You can't touch anybody now. I know. Well, you know, stickers in the, in the, in the, in the flare, you know, the flare from that movie waiting. That's what we kind of went for. Yeah. So, so the, the big things I'm taking away uh, as far as how you reacted is, and this is what I've been saying is that like, listen, business money is all just a tool to measure relationships and to manage relationships. That's yeah. what, why money existed. If you look at the evolution of humans and wh- how money came onto scene, it's because we needed a way to, to manage relationships and track relationships. And that's what shells were favors. IOUs, right? Which turned in, which evolved into cash, but relationships never went away just because cash flow stopped doesn't mean your relationships aren't there. And that's what the business is. It's those relationships yeah. and we can still manage those. those. Those relationships can still be strong. We not, yeah. we might not have cash flow, but if we can keep the relationship strong, the cash will come as soon as the, 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 you know, everything gets lifted. Right. And I think that's what we need to be focusing on is those relationships. You know what I, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to try to find that for you. Ready? Yeah. 
Social capital. Yes. You know, and, and that's those relationships are assets and it's weird to yeah. think of it that way. You don't want to think of people as money, but at the end of the day, it, it, coming back full circle to how you talked about this, it's all about who you surround yourself with. It's about, you know, finding out what your strengths are and finding out and being self-aware enough to know what your weaknesses are and to surround yourself with those people that will make you complete. And that was your biggest mistake. You know, when you, when you didn't have those CFOs around you or in the, your, your executive team around you, um, that's a theme in today's this conversation. Yeah, the willingness. I think it goes into the willingness to like be wrong too. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, who wants to sit on a podcast and say that I screwed up? And you know, you, I do. You I mean, are you, yeah. about, right? I mean, I know so many people are like admitting they did something, they can't, you know, something screwed up, you know? I wanted to it's highlight like, your humil- your humility, by the way. I, that, I think hey, that is, is a very valuable I'm asset. Who um, am I trying to impress? You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> who am I trying to kid? So, you know, it is what it is, man. It's like, don't, don't, don't be afraid of who you are. Mark, before we go to the speed round, um, you mentioned that you, you, you focusing on more slow food, fine, not, I wouldn't say necessarily fine dining, more like just like, a casual fine, right? Yeah, casual. Um, yeah, casual so we do some great stuff. Your oh. segment is the hardest segment, like arguably, to to, to manage COVID, right? Because it's it's food that doesn't necessarily travel well, but you're you're making that that adaptation. What technology did you adapt or adopt? Sorry, within your business to be able to do that right? Because it sounds like before maybe you weren't quite set up for it because that wasn't the niche you're going for. Yeah, we 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 got right with uh, Aloha. And, dra- and grabbed our uh, online ordering. Uh, we had a, we, we created a store in the front of the restaurant. So technology-wise, uh, we, we brought in some refrigeration that we had kind of kicking around downstairs. We we brought back our store that was from the rest from that restaurant that I failed a couple of years ago. Kind of funny. The two million dollar lost place ends up getting us over the hump. <laughs> uh, and then you know just using the technology from uh, the online ordering platform. We and that was, uh, moved our kitchen from the wood burning oven to downstairs, okay. which allowed us to make bigger pizzas. Got you. And and survive during that time. So Aloha had features built in that you were just able to like plug into your business or turn on in your business to. to- they, yeah, they. Uh, God bless them. They 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 made that really available for every all their customers out there. And our Wiz team got together, and within a within like two days, we had an online ordering platform online for all the three restaurants that we reopened for takeout. Beautiful. Awesome. Pretty Mark, cool. I've loved this conversation. You've been incredible. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. And we're going to bust out a true speed round. Okay. Uh, you're doing awesome, man. I'm loving this conversation. Uh, I was curious. I'm still a little hesitant to get into the whole COVID thing. I, one thing that worries me and I'm, this is, we're not recording right now. Well, we are, but we won't use this um, is this idea. We're doing all these things to show everybody like, you know, putting up dividers or wearing masks. And the argument is we got to do these things to make people feel safe And my concern. And I'm just curious what you think about this is, are we communicating that that's safe or are we, are we communicating that's not safe because we need to do all these things? What are we really communicating? Yeah. I mean, the thing about the, 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 the barriers, I think that's for the smaller places that can't spread out to get that six foot. Mm. The first thing I hope goes away is our masks and six foot social distancing. Yeah. You know, hopefully it's just a period of time. And it's right. It's true. I think I know we have a restaurant. Our restaurant's out of Carson's in uh, Gardnerville. They don't give two fucks about that. And we do. We have to because we have to protect our staff. Yeah. And I'm not going to let, we're not, we made a decision at the beginning. Safety's first. Mm -hmm. I've been through, I've been through a pandemic. I've been through my own epidemic when a fucking E. coli hit. Yeah. So our case was staff stays safe. No one cares until they get someone sick. Yeah. So we cared from the beginning. Maybe so I'll, we, we're fine. 
Maybe I'll include this. Maybe I'll include this into the recording if you're okay with that. But um, yeah, you can if you want to. Yeah, cool. All right, interesting. All right. So if you're ready, I'm ready. We can get right back into it. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions no more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5k. All right, we're back. And uh, the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. And when you're answering these, come at me with one word to a sentence. My leadership. What is your biggest weakness? Fault, uh, following the shiny object. Oh, I feel that, brother. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're growing your team? Can you make marinara sauce? Uh, what are you looking for? People who understand it's more than just cooking. Mm. What is your biggest challenge today? Striking balance in my life. How are you overcoming that challenge? Opening my heart to other things. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Respect our products, respect our people. Share one uncommon standard of service you teach your team. This is a way that you go above and beyond to serve your guests. That's common within your restaurants, but not common throughout the industry. I mean, the two-minute check back is kind of where we go. But I'd probably say the fact that making the customer feel right and heard. Mm. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? We already talked about one of them. I'm going to go to the E-Myth, which is a great one, I think, especially the beginning as you kind of learn, as you're kind of learning. Yep, the entrepreneurial myth. And actually, we just came out with a PDF um, with the – the, I think the six most recommended books on the show based off of the, the amount of times they've been recommended. And that book surprisingly was not on the list. So I made sure to add it to the list because I believe that's a must read personally. It was a must read for me. Yeah, for sure. And just for anybody who's curious what it's about, it's basically uh, how to inject systems and processes into your business is the simplest way to explain it. Um, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Listen. Yes. Uh, name one service you've hired or, or outsourced. So when I say service, I'm thinking about kind of to what we were talking about earlier, people, right? Some, somebody that uh, compensated for your weakness that you've brought on, that you've outsourced to a human being or a company uh, that provides um, some type of service. Best move ever, Vast 
CFO group. Vast, V-A-S-T? Yep. CFO Virtual group. accounting. They, they do all the accounting for us. Beautiful. And what is one piece of technology that you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on your operation? 365, Restaurant 365. Nice. I love when my sponsors get recommended organically. That makes me feel like I'm pointing my people in the right direction. That's organically done. I did not know. And that's a standard for the show. You need to be recommended organically on the show to be a sponsor. I've shot myself in the foot so many times because of that, but it's it's doing the hard things the right thing sometimes. Um, Yes. Uh, If you have, okay, this is the last question, by the way. So it's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Uh, everything uh, would be gone with your departure. All your, the memories of you know the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Uh, eat local food. One. Okay, number one. Two. Um, take the job you hate the most and make it your favorite Two, and then work the strike balance three mark this has been an incredible conversation thank you so much for taking the time to share your story your knowledge and your mentorship uh we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out so who's one person you recommend uh and if you can't think of just one person if you can you can call multiple people somebody you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today. I had to give two people. Uh, one, I think is an amazing woman, Jennifer Bushman. She is a world-class leader in sustainable fishing, fishing uh, industries. And she's really popular and really smart. So if you have any interest in anything to do with sustainable seafood, and she works with some of the greatest chefs all over the country. She's a very good friend of mine. I just recently hooked up with her because we're trying to really up our seafood game here. Let's give you, I'm going to give you Colin Smith from roundabout catering. Colin Smith and Jennifer Bushman. Look out. I'm coming after you guys. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, how can we connect if we're inspired, motivated by you? uh, We want to come join your team, maybe come stage or whatever. Uh, What's the best way to connect? Uh, You you can find us on our, all of our websites, but uh, we're on Liberty Food and Wine Exchange.com, Liberty Food and Wine.com, uh, Reno Local Food Group. If you hit on that, you'll find a logo with all our restaurants. You can connect to any of our restaurants there. I'm at Mark Esty on Twitter, at Mark Esty on uh, Facebook, and uh, at Mark Esty on uh, Instagram. Um, you know, we're out there on all the social media channels. And this is episode 717. If you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 717, you'll find a summary of today's discussion as well as a link in, uh, to any service or tool recommended and how to connect with Mark. And uh, Mark, uh, just thank you so much. I like to say that I would not be able to do what I do if not for people like you. So thank you so much for making time and being so generous with your knowledge. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Cheers. There you go, Mark Esty joining us today on Restaurant Unstoppable, a really great episode. It's not every day somebody matches my energy, and when they do, I love it. 
Awesome stuff today. Thank you so much, Chef Mark Esty. And uh, the big takeaways for me today are this mentality or this mindset of vertical integration, putting the energy into your community, going deep and finding opportunities to coexist and collaborate with others in your community and just creating symbiotic relationships, uh, knowing where you're going and finding out how you can bring other people there with you by vertically integrating them into your business. And I love this idea of also protecting yourself with LLCs and building this leadership team around you. I mean, we spent, we spend so much time working on building systems in our business and building up managers, but we need that top tier level of support And Mark had to learn the hard way. And that's what the show is all about is uh, taking these lessons that people learn the hard way. So you can kind of get a heads up and uh, have a better chance of getting it right out of the gates and great stuff. Uh, I also really love this idea that of, uh, it was really brief. We mentioned it, but just taking the time to acknowledge everybody in your restaurant every day when you're coming in, say hello to everybody. When you're leaving, say goodbye to everybody. Such a simple thing, such a great habit to build, to, to let your people know that you care about them. So simple. And he got in, he got into the this idea of living your culture. And I love this culture of learning, caring and respect. And you got to give it before you can get it. We got into that too. some great stuff for you. So quick reminder, guys. We have some sponsors. Uh, Toast is a CPA sponsor, and I, my guests are continuing to recommend Toast organically. This is not planned, I promise you. In uh, Restaurant Three Sixty Five, our other sponsor is a a, 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 a technology that uh, what's the word integrates really well with Toast. So I love it when my sponsors have. Uh, the opportunity to vertically integrate and become symbiotic. So that's kind of the theme for today. And I, I really love it. So please make sure to use our link. If you use our link, you're going to get 800 to a thousand dollars worth of incentives from toast. And we're going to match that and give you another check for $1,000 because we know you need it. And we want to show you that we appreciate your support. And uh, just if you haven't in a while, share this podcast, help us spread the word. Let's grow this sucker. And don't be afraid to come join our community over at Facebook, unstoppable restaurant owners and operators. We'd love you to join the conversation. All right. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.